0: I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. It's Mike Siegel. Welcome to the Travel Tales podcast. I'm your host and creator of this podcast. Thank you for listening. My guest today is Scott Marshall. And before we get to Scott here's a few announcements. Our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there to see photos of our guests. You can see links to their social media. You can see stories that I've written. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see links to our social media like Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, links to our Facebook page. Follow us, give us a thumbs up, do what you got to do there. And speaking of giving us a thumbs up, you can also find links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts We're on Spotify. We are on iHeartRadio. We're just about everywhere you get your podcasts. So if you're on any platform, please give us a good rating. Give us a thumbs up. Maybe say some nice things. I never asked for money because, as I've always said, I'm a crappy businessman. But if you want to give something that costs you nothing in terms of money and about a second or two of your time, give us a like. Subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Because it boosts our presence on any of those platforms and helps more people find us. So that works. So if you can do it, I'd appreciate it. If you think you'd be right for the show or you know somebody who might be right for the show, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. It's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. If you have travel questions, you can write me. And also, if you just want to say nice things and about how awesome I am, I'd appreciate that too. Someone who reached out to me was the publicist for Scott Marshall. Who's Scott Marshall, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. He's the guy running Semester at Sea. And I mentioned to Scott during this that over the almost 10 years I've been doing this, I have talked to people who went on Semester at Sea. And it was their first real taste of international travel. And Semester at Sea is exactly what it says. You do a semester of school on a ship at sea, about three to four months, studying on the ship, stopping at exotic ports all over the world, and getting credit for it. For a lot of students, it's their first taste of international travel. And I'm very jealous because I had never heard of this when I was in school, and apparently this has been going on since the 60s. And I know how much my first trip to a different country, which was after college, how that blew my mind just in six weeks, and it changed my perspective on the world, on my country, on me, and on life itself. It would have been nice to have done it earlier and gotten credit at college. Would I have liked to spend one less January through April in freezing cold DeKalb, Illinois, and been sailing around the world that whole time? You better believe I would have. Now, I've been working on cruise ships for the past five years, but I gotten paid for it. In college, I could have gotten paid for it in credits, and I would have taken it. What a cool experience this is for students, and I understand its appeal. So, if you're listening to this now and you are a student and you love travel, or maybe you got kids in college who need their horizons expanded, which in my mind is never a bad thing, check out semesteratsea.org and get all the info. That is after you listen to my conversation with Scott Marshall at his home in Fort Collins, Colorado. Here's my chat with Scott Marshall from Semester at Sea. Fort Collins, Colorado, home of Colorado State University and home of, is it the base of Semester at Sea? It is the home office. Okay, has it always been that way, or w- really? so? We okay.
1: actually started in 1963 at Chapman University. So we were in Boulder for a couple of years, and then Pittsburgh for 25, Charlottesville with UVA for about 11 years, and in fall 16 came to Fort Collins, Colorado, in partnership with Colorado State. Super.
0: Okay. Now, I've talked to a few uh, travel professionals on here and bloggers and everything else, and a couple of them, uh, more than a couple of them, they credit their first real taste of international travel by doing semester at sea. Oh, So, right. uh, see, you're sending kids on the, on the dark path. Exactly. That's <laughs> well, the path of enlightenment. I know, I'm kidding. Um, I didn't know this existed when I was going to college back in the 1900s, back in the 80s. Did it exist? And how long the Semester at C been around?
1: Yeah, so it did get founded in 1963. It was actually part of Chapman University at the time, and it was called Class Afloat. And then it evolved to become Semester at C, and it moved out of Chapman University, moved into the University of Colorado for a couple of years, and then through University of Pittsburgh for twenty five, so it's been semester C
0: since the late sixties. Okay, we have Perfect. over seventy thousand alumni. Wow, where is Chapman University? L.A. Oh, that is L.A. Okay, so small. I can't believe I didn't play it. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to think of uh, in the early sixties. This is around the time like the Peace Corps was starting and all this other kind of stuff. Was it? Did it kind of ride that wave? If you pardon the pun, uh, of like. Bringing American kids out into the world?
1: That's a good question. I'm not sure if the founders of the program sort of associated it with Peace Corps or some other opening up in the world or not. It's interesting that we oftentimes do talk about the very first model like this, which was actually in 1919. And it only went once, but it was this guy out of New England who had this brilliant idea. Of course, this was a tall ship at the time, not a steam ship. He's going to take him around the world, and they did pull it off. But then it just ran out of funding and interest and so forth. And the founders back in the early '60s, uh, one of them is a Hong Kong uh, shipping magnet, basically said, "Ships carry more than ideas, more than cargo. They carry ideas." was really committed to this, you know, seeing multiple countries. So some alternative to the study abroad experience.
0: So students who do this, they partner, obviously, with Colorado State and, and everything else. Is it, it's not just Colorado State students. Anybody can sign up for this, right?
1: Absolutely. We usually have students from 150 to 180 different universities. They earn Colorado State credit while they're on the ship, which transcripts back to their home institution.
0: Do you suggest that they talk to their schools first before make sure that these
1: credits oh, transfer? Absolutely. Yeah. Go to the study abroad office, go to your, you know, advisor within your school or college, make sure you can get credit for it for sure. Uh, so there's a lot of advising that occurs
0: pre-voyage. Right. Do you get ever get kids who will come back to you and go, hey, my school won't take this?
1: Usually, they've got that figured out before they say. It. And, and to your point, Mike, there are sometimes we have students who get on the voyage knowing that maybe only one of the courses will transcript back,
0: and they're still willing to go. Okay, so for people who've never heard of this, explain semester at sea in your best elevator pitch. It's basically what?
1: It's a campus on the ocean that takes you to eight to 10 countries in a semester. It is the most transformative experience of everybody who's ever done it, bottom line. Alumni that sailed 50 years ago still talk about it and reminisce about their experience and how important it was on their life. It's the best investment, not only in a college experience, but in the life experience.
0: Now, do you take students who are majoring in any kind of field, or is it like science, or is it hospitality, or you just take everyone?
1: So the course offerings, it's kind of like a mini university. So we have humanities, social sciences, some natural sciences. There's a few things we can't do. Like we don't have a wet lab on the ship. So some kind of biology major can't get their lab courses. We also don't have mechanical engineering labs on the ship. So someone who's in that major needing to do their lab work, we're not going to fulfill that. But if you're studying anthropology, psychology, business, art, history, art, those are courses we have available.
0: Okay. Uh, So can students get credit through or uh, financial aid through their own schools or through you?
1: Yeah. So they would do the same thing that they do for their ordinary courses. They submit their financial aid form. They get their financial aid through the university And in most cases would apply that financial aid to our voyage, just like they would their normal semester at their home institution. We also have financial aid and scholarships. So it can be really helpful for someone who's got uh, more financial need. They get their base financial aid and then can apply for more with us.
0: Now, is the typical student that goes on these basically like a junior and senior, like an upperclassman, or is it freshmen and sophomores as well?
1: You know, that's kind of a changing trend. To your point, it used to be mostly juniors. In study abroad, there was, a you know, 30, 40% were juniors. But that shifted now. You have maybe for our voyage, 30% sophomores and then 20% juniors. And then the rest is divided up between that freshman and senior year, as well as gap year. A lot of gap year students... uh, you probably followed the gap year industry and it's amazing how it's growing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, for Americans out there who aren't familiar with the gap year, uh, this is a very common thing in, say, Europe and uh, yeah. Australians do this all the time. Basically, when you finish high school, they tell you to take a year off and, and uh, see the world a little bit. And I'm all for it as someone who loves to travel. If I'd have, you know, I didn't leave the country until I was 21 and after college you know, doing the whole backpacking thing around Europe and, and that kind of stuff. But if I'd have done that at 18, it certainly would have changed my perspective on the world and it might have changed what I majored in or where I went to college. Have you seen kids change their attitudes towards gap years and studying abroad? It sure seems like it. With the number of
1: gap year providing organizations, opening up shop over the last five to six years, I, I assume that that's based on demand that there is demand for this. And as you know, you can do it non-credit. People can go on gap year self-designed, as you just said. They can yeah. call it a gap year and go they, backpacking. They can also do it one, through one of these organizations and do service projects and not earn college credit. And then there's a lot like us who are providing college credit. Now, you got to design it a bit uniquely. You know, there is is a difference in mindset between a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old And so that 17-year-old needs a bit more surrounding, uh, a bit more care and support. So we, like other gap year organizations, are going to surround that younger student with the counseling services and peer advising and and programs that really make that feel safer and they, they build more confidence.
0: So is there a minimum age
1: limit? So, for what we call a college student, it's really starting at that 18 year old to, you know, into the 22 year range. Someone who's a gap year can be 17. Uh, so, that's our primary audience to come. However, we do have lifelong learners, uh, basically 30 years and older, who come to audit courses. So you're welcome to come, Mike, anytime oh. you'd like as a lifelong learner <laughs> and audit that oceanography class that you've been longing to audit so that the next time you go on one of those cruises and standing on stage, you can talk about your oceanography yeah. course.
0: Okay, this is where I come clean. I have been performing for the last five years on uh, cruise ships doing stand-up and, uh, well, of course, not the last year. But this kind of interest interests me because, yes, you see a lot. But you're also kind of closed off in your own little bubble. And now I I can imagine one of the biggest hassles, I don't know how old your ships are, but especially on some of the older ships, uh, the Wi-Fi is not great. And so I would hate to see some 19-year-olds out for three months with not having super fast Wi-Fi, because I see you know, my niece and nephew, if they go a weekend without it, they're freaking out.
1: Yeah. So our ship is 1998. The satellite is decent. The internet is okay. (laughs) No streaming can't be done. Yep. We have an intranet and Wi-Fi within the ship, so you can get WhatsApp sort of messaging. Yeah. The most awesome thing to see on the ship is that board games and card games and skits all start to happen. Those things that people... (laughs) should be doing in their childhood. They do as college students on the ship. And as a consequence, the community on the ship becomes the most impactful part of the semester at sea experience.
0: Where are you typically based out of? I looked on the site and it seems like most are leaving out of Europe.
1: Yeah, well, given the conditions right now in the world.
0: Let's say in a typical year.
1: Typical year, we would touch at least three continents. Typical year, we would do Europe, Africa, Asia, and hit, again, 8 to 10 countries en route. Typical year, we would either go through the Suez or we'd go around Cape of Good Hope. And obviously, this isn't typical right now. So (laughs) it's mostly Europe-based for spring 22. But over the next three years, we'll get back to that normal itinerary.
0: And yeah. but not uh, the Americas really not not so much North and South America.
1: Yeah, interesting. We used to come to San Diego, and even further back in our history, we did Fort Lauderdale. What we found is, first of all, crossing the Pacific, as wonderful in its notion as that is, it's it's really big.
0: Oh man, I've I've taken I've gone to Hawaii a couple times, and I vowed never to do that. Again, that was about six days straight at sea in high. You know, you could get some rough waters out there in the middle of the ocean too. That's yes. uh, those days go by slow, brother. Woo, they
1: sure man. do. And imagine add to that. Then, then you got to go from Hawaii to Kobe, Japan. No, which thank is you. Even longer and rougher.
0: Oh no! Nope! Nope! I'm flying that. No. So, yeah. So
1: when we did cross Pacific we would stop in Honolulu for a day and then continue on our way and in terms of what we're trying to achieve that just wasn't the best use of our time, our fuel, all of it. Yeah. So now we don't really come to the US. South America is so interesting. I know you've been throughout that whole continent and I've traveled a fair amount there. It's one of my I love that area. Love Venezuela, Peru, Chile, I love mm-hmm. it all. However, when we design itineraries countries there have not been as interesting to our voyagers as going Africa Asia. So, and you can't do it all yeah,
0: in, I know. 3 and a half months. And if you can go 3 months and see the differences when you go to Europe and just go in Europe to Africa and then you throw Asia into the mix. I mean, that's that's a lot in 3 months. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably a better call. You're not uh, as much as I love South America, you're not going to see much difference of going from Costa Rica to uh, you know Panama <laughs> to right. to Peru to you know Argentina which is great and Chile they're all great but yeah i, I can see what you mean there i can yeah. see what you mean um, and our whole
1: our whole yeah. premise is really to be comparative right to make sure. sure that people have just enough time to get some sense of the country 4 to 6 days yeah, and then they get on the ship. They talk about it. They reflect, and then they go to another one.
0: Like, so you're you're in ports for like four six days, four to six days. Okay, because like on a cruise ship, you're there for a day, and yeah. that's not a taste. You get like a little hors d'oeuvre of little little one bite, and that's it. So four to six days is pretty good. You can see a lot in four to six days.
1: Yeah, it's just enough. I mean, again, as much as you've traveled, you know the difference between one day, two days, three days, oh, yeah. four days, five days, and you know, five days in a country, you've you've listened to some music, you've tasted some food, you've stretched yourself in some kind of conversation with a local, just getting a flavor of it, right? You've ride a taxi or something, and then you get back in the ship again, and then you go and you find out that taxi in one country is completely different. Yeah. The only similarity is that it's usually a car, but it can be a rickshaw. It's, it's some type of paid mobility. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they can be completely different experiences, right?
0: Right. So how much do you structure on land in terms of what we would call in cruise ship excursions or something? Are there is everything they do guided on there or do they have some free time?
1: Well, there's, in simple terms, three ways people can experience the country. Number one is students are taking... Three classes, really four, but one's required. Of the three classes, each of those classes is going to have a field class, so an in-country day. And they're required, of course, to do that because it's part of the course they're taking. Then we do do field programs, which use the same tour operator services that a cruise company would use, these onshore providers. However, ours really are intended to be more experiential learning. They're they're not trinket shopping. They're actually going to learn something. And then there's independent travel. There's the opportunity, opportunity for all the voyagers to go design their own trips.
0: Okay. So, um they're, are they are they're still getting credit and stuff for for all their onshore activities as well, right? Or do they do they actually do classes on on land or is that all the classes back on the ship?
1: So yeah, all the courses all the classes are classes are on the ship. And then of course this field class again is one day requirement in country. And any other time in the country, really they get to choose. No, they, they I mean we have classrooms on the ship. So we yeah, hold yeah. the bulk of the, the credit hours is the contact hours are on the ship.
0: Do they have to come back every night and sleep on the ship or do they ever sleep on land? They do. They sleep on land. Oh good. Oh, yeah, nice. All right, so how many students would you say what's the average per trip like how many are on this ship? yeah, around five fifty. yeah, it's not too bad. you know I'm used to ships with like two to three thousand people passengers on them, so that's that's small in comparison to most ships
1: yes, it is a, it is now qualified as a small cruise ship for sure.
0: Okay. Let's talk about living conditions. Is it a roommate situation or do they each have their own cabins? So there are singles,
1: doubles, and triples and a few quads. Ooh, so okay. very few singles, mostly doubles, some triples and a few quads. So this is how we try to provide as much opportunity to people as possible. The singles are oftentimes reserved for individuals with um, any kind of limitation. Right, that okay. that would need to have them be able to cabin by themselves.
0: And I'll, as a performer, I have to ask, who books that? What kind of entertainment do you have for them on the on the ship?
1: So <laughs> you're welcome. Let Let's get yeah. you on board. Okay, let's get you on board. So, and you could tell all kinds of travel tales. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, sure, I'd do it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we first of all we hire our faculty and staff. Right, that's our core group who's with the with the students all the time. Then we have our counselors and our medical staff, and then during a voyage we bring on what we call our distinguished experts, and they just sail a leg of a voyage, whatever it is, you know, Croatia to, to Israel or mm-hmm. South Korea to Tokyo, you know, to Japan, whatever it might be. We bring someone on, and usually that person would be like an expert in the upcoming country, or they would be. Educating them about some bigger global issue, security, cybersecurity, whatever it might be, and so we do bring on people for a single leg to speak to the students, both in individual classes and then on the big stage
0: to the whole group okay we've got kind of like guest, guest lecturers basically, and things yep. like that okay that's exactly right yeah, what about like music and uh, you know is there like a dance club on board is there is there bars so there is a bar for mm-hmm. The non-college students. Ah. Oh, really? Well, okay.
1: Yeah. So college students get to have what we call drink nights (laughs) in which in a safe space, they're given two tickets. Each ticket gets them a drink. All right. And those are only occasional throughout the voyage. If they desire to go have a party, they might do that when they go to land.
0: I was going to say, yeah, offshore. So you got to worry about them coming back. Now I need your travel tales. Uh, Any instances of kids not making their way back to ship on time?
1: Yeah, it does happen. We have really strict rules, just like a cruise ship, in that you got to be back on ship at a certain time. And yet, unlike a cruise, we won't leave anybody behind. (laughs) Yeah. Right, these are college students in our care, and their health and safety is always number one. So, if there are students who are late, and yes, this has happened, they get what's called dock time. And dock time means for every hour you are late, means time that you have to stay on the ship when we get to the next port.
0: Okay, and yeah. so there
1: is this disciplinary penalty built
0: in, they lose their shore leave. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Uh, what it about, doesn't happen very often. Right. Uh, what is the most common major you would say that the students have? I mean, is it more of like a general kind of liberal arts student, or are some more specifically in certain fields?
1: Yeah, business is our strongest. Right. Twenty-five to thirty percent of our students are business majors. Very common. Psychology is 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 a very frequent course that people take. But then it's really diverse from ecology or environmental science, anthropology, psychology. Uh, It comes from all over the map. We even do get sometimes some engineers who sort of step out of their program for a minute and earn some electives. So, yeah, it's really diverse. It's It's an awesome environment in that sense.
0: And pretty evenly split between men and women? No. Oh.
1: It's not. Quick story
0: about this. All right, but I'm going to guess it's more women, right? Of course. Yeah, because all the ones I know from this show, they were all women who did Semester at Sea.
1: Yes. So quick story just to enforce this. My older son, a couple years ago, seventh grade, short-term trip to Peru. He signs up. He's excited to go. The sort of orientation meeting, and it is two-thirds girls. (laughs) And I'm like, this must start at a really early age. And I can't explain it. (laughs) Sure enough, study abroad in the U.S., two-thirds women. Hmm. Study abroad. And indeed, on our voyage, it's actually more like 70-30 women to men.
0: What do you attribute that to? I mean, do they think it's, is it safety in that it's guided? Maybe they feel a little more bold that they're uh, going in a group than solo? Or I don't know. What it be? Maybe they have more curiosity. I don't know. I, I don't know either. If you could figure this out for me <laughs> through all of
1: your podcast work with all these experts in travel, I would love to know the answer.
0: I have to tell you, in in terms of like travel media and uh, bloggers, it seems to be more women, and um, yeah, and, and travel agents, things like that. I don't. I don't know why. Why that is, it's, I'm sure there's a paper on it somewhere. <laughs> uh, I, I but have, has that stayed pretty consistent over the years? Yeah. I mean, oh, Yeah, wow.
1: pretty consistent. Hmm, that's Here's my working hypothesis that's completely untested. And that is women have stronger confidence that their social ties back home will remain in place when they return. Hmm. And they won't have missed important, in quotes, events. And I think again, just to hypothesis, men generally are a bit more anxious about what they might miss if they leave, and women are like, "Hey, it's all going to be great. I'm going to go have this amazing experience. I'm going come back. I'm still going to have the same friends and you know i I'm not sure, Mike, what do you think?
0: I don't know maybe maybe there's a business aspect of it that maybe think that that will put them behind in some way. maybe you know men are competitive about it, maybe it's um I don't know. Maybe they are less willing to look outward. I hate to say that men would be less curious, but maybe they are. I I don't know. (laughs) Because really it comes down to curiosity and wanting to get out. Curiosity
1: Um, and courage, I'd say. A bit of courage, right? Yeah. And again, I still don't have the answer. I'd love to solve it. I think we would benefit from changing that ratio a bit.
0: Uh, You can maybe look to the parents uh, as well. Maybe, maybe parents are more encouraging of their daughters to go a semester at sea than they are their sons. Oh, you should stay home and be more serious. Or I I don't know. It's not that, not that doing it is not serious, but I don't, it's a really fascinating thing. I don't know. I don't know why that is. is. I would love to see data that goes back to like
1: middle school, short-term study trips and see if it's a similar ratio. I mean, I only have one story, right? But if it starts that young, then it's got to be something different than what we're thinking about in the college experience, for sure.
0: Maybe there's a sensitivity to it. Um, I find travelers tend to be a little more... I mean certainly they they have a little more liberal bent only because they they see the world and they want to see it and they empathize with others and want to see how other halves live and and maybe men feel that that's a sign of weakness or at least american men maybe. you know uh, i i hate to think of it that way but that there there's probably some of that in there could what be do you want to go there for you know i, I don't know cuz i'm kind <laughs> of curious about how other people live why do you care about that? yeah see, but you're going to miss the
1: football game.
0: Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, yeah, that, that's worth looking into. But if when people go, uh, it's about three and a half months or something like that, typical yeah. semester.
1: 105 days, right in that general time period. Leave in early September, get back in third week, into the third week of December.
0: Since this has been going on 40, 50 years or even more. Did you find ebbs and flows in its popularity over the years, say the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s or probably post 9-11, there was a dip, uh, something like that. Did you see it?
1: For sure. We've seen it. Now, I have to qualify that by saying I've only been associated with Semester at Sea since October 17 as an employee, and I sailed as a faculty member in spring of 17. Now, I've certainly talked to a lot of the people who've been involved all the way back to its founding. And they've certainly seen ebb and flows. Now, interesting enough, there's only been, prior to the pandemic, there was only one canceled voyage. The pandemic, we've had to cancel three. Mm. So pretty unique circumstances we're living in today.
0: But you're back going,
1: though. We are going. Spring 22, January, we're leaving from Naples, Italy.
0: Absolutely. Well, we Uh, can talk COVID now, but what are the... Precautions that you're assuring people. Of what what have you changed on the? Because I know from cruise ships, there's a lot. There's a lot of testing going on, and a lot of a little bit of nervousness. And you know, there's no buffets anymore, and that kind of thing. What changes have you made?
1: Yeah, well, first thing, Mike, I'd call out the article you did write in the Wall Street Journal that said perhaps <laughs> cruise companies got a little bit of a rough rap. I do believe that because they were in the spotlight. And in fact, their protocols were already fairly decent.
0: From norovirus. I mean, that was what we always worried about before. I'd been on the ship a couple of years ago when they had a code red norovirus outbreak and had to shut everything down, wipe it all down. So there's always been, as long as I've been doing them, like hand sanitizers, you know, Purell stations at every room. And, and uh, at least a lot of the the lines that I was doing, they had stopped with the buffet Along, the, I mean, you go down the line and tell them what you want. You don't grab. Not everybody's grabbing a spoon, <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, yeah. you had a lot of those things in place already.
1: Yeah. There was, so really, there's three relatively simple things, and then of course underneath it, there's a lot of complexity. But number one, in February of this year, we already we issued the statement that all voyagers and crew will be vaccinated. So we jumped on that immediately, hundred mm-hmm. percent. So right there, you know how this works. The potential for a superspreader, like experienced in previous cruise ships is almost zero. Basically zero for super spread, right? So that's your baseline. Second, we will have anti-antigen, you know, rapid antigen testing and PCR testing. So you do the rapid antigen. If it's positive, then you do a PCR. And if it's positive, then we do have isolation. Will so, the students have
0: to be vaccinated or?
1: Yes, everybody.
0: Okay. Everybody
1: that gets on that ship will be vaccinated.
0: Where's the crew from? I mean, uh, are the, pi- uh, the pilot, the captain, and the and the staff are there? they're I don't know how the breakdown it goes for you, but for cruise ships, it was like okay, the crew was usually like the the captain and and his crew were usually Europeans, and then the, a lot of most the bulk of the crew were like Filipinos and Indonesians, <laughs> and a lot of, it, it just it was like the floating UN. Is it the same on yours? You described it pretty much how we're set up. Our our captain is Greek. Yep. And
1: Eastern European uh, officers in in large part. And then Filipino make up around 70% of our crew. And then we have some from India and Nepal, some from Nicaragua, Jamaica, and so forth. (laughs) Yep, absolutely.
0: Do you have to... uh... Get there on your own, like I saw a lot of the ports. Like, you board the ship in, say, Germany. Are the students, the American students, responsible for getting themselves to Germany, or is that all part of the deal?
1: So, airfare is separate, so they find their way there, absolutely. And we encourage people to buy refundable tickets. As you know, travel (laughs) is tricky, you do pay a premium, but it it oftentimes is smart, right, right, but they find their way there oftentimes parents might go as well. this voyage in spring, leaving in early January comes out it goes out of Naples, and so people will fly over there, We'll do embarkation and head off.
0: What do you tell people to bring, and what do you tell them to leave at home?
1: <laughs> well, we tell them first of all, your cabins are not sweets and <laughs> yeah you will have to keep your luggage in your cabin the whole time. So think about how many and what size and of what construction
0: your luggage will be, right? now, right. Space is a premium on a ship.
1: Space is a premium. So it's best if you find something you can stuff under your bed. It's great that you don't have too many of these. With that said, we do occasionally have people bring four, five, six, seven, bags and it's a problem right <laughs> so things that you can't bring first of all the ship is german built and it has you know european plug-ins oh,
0: you see you need adapters
1: yeah you need adapters and you need adapters you also can't bring things like uh, curling irons that take up a lot of power you can't bring a microwave yeah hot <laughs> you plates can't bring any, any of these big items that are being plugged <laughs> into electricity uh, And you know they're the very common things. You, no drugs, yeah, sure, all that kind of stuff. Foreboding for sure. Um, but then things that you do want to bring. We're gonna we hit different weather. Uh, you, some countries are gonna be pretty cold. Some are gonna be pretty hot. So be prepared. Uh, give you examples. So when I went on my voyage Spring '17 with my family and was a faculty member, we went in January. We were in Kobe, Japan. And Beijing, I'm sorry, we went to Shanghai, and then we headed down to Vietnam. Well, at that time, Kobe and Beijing were freezing. <laughs> right. Okay. Then you go down to Ho Chi Minh, and suddenly you're sweating. Yeah, you're, sweating.
0: Yeah, you're in Singapore, and you're sweating your, your nuts off. Yeah, it's really yeah. bad. Really And that's bad, not a see. big of a – people forget that Japan gets cold, and so does China. Yeah,
1: when it was really <laughs> yeah. cold. and some of our student voyagers in particular did not quite prepare well so we saw them walking the streets of kobe and osaka in their shorts and t-shirts because they and they (laughs) shop for jackets and of course clothing in japan
0: is twice pricey yeah
1: you can't find the size so anyway
0: yeah they kept looking for a walmart in in japan they couldn't find it yeah
1: and the other (laughs) thing again uh, really important to respect the culture and how people dress, right? There's, you go into India, uh, women can't mm-hmm. be exposing their shoulders and they shouldn't be exposing their legs.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, I've seen that. Usually the Russian women in uh, in uh, tank tops and high heels going into the mosque. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Or the Australian dudes in their tank tops and flip-flops. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I always try to be... Uh, conscious of it. And not only that, not only respectful. I mean, you can make yourself a target, you know, from thieves. Have you had, have you had any problems with people getting like pickpocketed or that kind of oh, stuff?
1: Yeah. Every voyage, something happens like that. Right. For sure. In some countries, the big danger point is an ATM. You probably know that, right? Walking up yeah. to an ATM, some person just comes up, puts the gun mm-hmm. to your head and says, withdraw, withdraw. So that happens certainly late night. Someone's been out drinking. They decide they're done. They head home on their own. We've had a couple of cases of that. So we obviously do what we can because again these folks are in our care. So we give them all the warnings. If you're going up to an ATM, go up with all of your friends. Mm-hmm. Don't go up by yourself.
0: What's the Walk. typical What's the typical day at sea in terms of classes? And how, you know, activities that you would do in a typical day at sea? So it starts
1: off with the core required course all students take. That's called global studies. So someone's either got the early morning session or the mid-morning session. And then they will take their other courses during the day. Of course, the dining halls of which there's two on the ship. They'll have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But then after the afternoon class finishes... There's always a lot of evening activities. One is we do lectures by faculty or visitors on the ship at night. Uh, There's student organizations, a whole variety of student organizations that are organic. They kind of are created at the beginning of the voyage. Then a lot of the adults that aren't students retreat to the Fritz, which is our bar. Mm -hmm, Right. (laughs) Have a few drinks. Uh, students are up in other lounges playing board games, whatever that. And sometimes they do put on their own sort of DJ run dance parties on the <laughs> top deck, have a good time. So it's, it's always a full day. But the bulk of it really is course time, class time.
0: How much PlayStation is happening on this ship?
1: I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> well, you're
0: th- at that bar. Let me tell you, my friend, there's some big tournaments going on. I know it. I know it.
1: I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. And I am the worst person to talk about video games, even though... Yeah, I'm me too. I have,
0: I have no clue, but I know i am just... I've seen the staff back there and they all had systems.
1: Yeah, ship. now, right? All you need is a laptop and yep. you're going. And you bring yeah. a couple controllers and you're hot, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, there's no cloud that you can connect to if it's that if you need that, yeah. but...
0: Oh, well, they just didn't play each other. Uh, do you have... Um, one, one or two places in particular that if you, I'm sure they fill out surveys after this is all done on their experience. Is there one particular place that's just a favorite that they all love and they all talk up as like, man, I wish we could have stayed there for longer?
1: So first, this probably isn't the answer you're looking for, but first, hands down, their favorite port becomes the ship. Oh, half the time on the ship, and it's a closed community that is so unique that that becomes the most impactful, memorable part of their semester. Just naturally. It's not a good sales pitch, right?
0: Selling, (laughs) See the world, but love the the ship.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But then usually what we find is it's the countries that they wouldn't normally have gone to, that they didn't know much about, that kind of blow their mind. I'll give you an example. We don't go there right now for obvious reasons, but we used to, and that's Myanmar. Hmm. It's
0: and on my list. It's on my dirty dozen bucket list still.
1: Yeah. So it's a place where you know it had opened up and was available to people to go. And we went through a couple of voyages in a row and he was such an unknown. We would prepare them with some lectures on what to expect and what the history is and so forth. But then you go in and it's extraordinary it because you don't have a baseline. You don't have any anchor. You just have the unknown. Whereas a lot of places we already have a foundation of knowledge. We're pretty sure our expectations are going to be pretty closely matched. But if you don't have any, then it's all kind of mind blowing yeah And so, places like Myanmar can do that,
0: yeah, I fear I missed my window on Myanmar. I hope it I get the chance again, but man, I hope I didn't miss it forever. you know it's it's a rough situation going on right now uh Is there a port where <laughs> that finally you just kind of took off the list after a while just because the the kids just weren't digging it?
1: Not so much that. We used to do occasionally short stops in island countries. Mm. And at times we might still do that. Like Mauritius is a natural fuel stop for us. So we spend a day there on some of our voyages. But we're really careful to do a short stop in an island country that has one overnight. Because the college students are like only here for a short time, spring
0: break in a night. Yep, <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's one thing we don't do if we can avoid it.
0: Yeah, not a lot There's of cultural a education stop on going a Trump on. Pilot. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, not a of cultural uh, immersion going on there. It's like drinks on a beach.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I exactly. get it.
0: That's yeah. a, that's one of my main problems with the Caribbean that uh, I'm not a fan. You know, I, I enjoyed my trips to Alaska more than you know in terms of nature and everything else. The problem with the islands, they just tend to run together after a while. Certainly in the Caribbean, it's like, well, was that Saint John or Saint Vincent, Saint Thomas? I don't remember. Whatever Saint something, yeah. it was like a, a bar, people shoving drinks in your face and them playing bad reggae and and trying to hose tourists. You know, it just, yeah, culturally, after a while, they, yeah, you didn't get much out of it. Right, yeah. But that's interesting. So do you find, like, you have a strong alumni community that they, do they, people come back and say have, like, reunion trips?
1: I'm so glad you brought it up. So we do have a homecoming (laughs) voyage in December. Oh, that's fun. Out of Naples. And we have 219 people registered so far, all alumni. We could get as high as 300. Uh, which is just phenomenal. I mean, people being able to sort of uproot themselves from their yeah. holiday plans and fly to Naples and go on this voyage, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, and we have alumni who contribute back in so many ways. Obviously, we have some financial contributions, but we also have people who volunteer oftentimes at embarkation to help students load their luggage. We have volunteers who organize chapter events in the regions across the US. Alumni are very engaged. It's it's awesome what they do.
0: Do you find a lot of the are a lot of the guest speakers kind of alumni as well? Do you get some that are occasionally?
1: That? Occasionally, that can happen when it really fits the itinerary and the content that we're trying to address. We could bring alumni back to to speak on the ship.
0: How long are the uh, homecoming journeys? It's not three months. I know these people got lives, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it's uh,
1: <laughs> December twenty eighth to January second.
0: Oh, okay, a few days. That's fun. It,
1: few days because we get back to Naples and we're loading on all the voyagers for the spring 22, three and a half month voyage. Oh, right. Okay. Right afterwards. So, yeah.
0: Oh, it's a little fun thing to do in between voyages. That's cool.
1: It'll be super fun. It'll be super fun.
0: Well, uh, give me your, I guess, this is the way we got to talk business. Uh, So the food's included. What else do they get for their money? And then you get to tell us how much the money is. (laughs) Okay.
1: We'll do. So in higher ed terms, tuition, room, and board, right? Mm -hmm. And included, of course, are the courses you take, the room, the cabin, and three meals a day, plus a midnight snack, right? All the special lectures. Counseling services, mental health counseling services, medical health services, all surrounding this community on the ship, right? That also includes the field classes, which, again, are the one-day excursions in country as part of a course. So that's all included in the price. It does change based on the cabin. So, you know, if you're a
0: single, it's more yeah that yeah
1: exactly, all the way up to a you know a triple cabin, which would be the yeah. least so the kids
0: in the quads and the triple are paying less than the ones in the double
1: exactly okay. so it can start net around twenty four and go to thirty three thousand dollars
0: oh wow, okay, but I guess it's about a semester tuition at most private colleges wouldn't it? Yes. so
1: that's so interesting. I don't know. I don't
0: have kids. I don't don't know what college costs anymore. All I know is it's more than it was in the 80s. That's all.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) It's really something that's quite accessible to someone who's going to a private school or going out of state to a public school in terms of matching what they're already paying. Okay. I have a friend sending his daughter to Texas Christian University sending them on semester C will actually cost them less.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, but to a, to a student going in-state to a state school like I did, it's going to be more.
1: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that's why the, the financial aid is so critical, right? They, they comply for their financial aid. We have financial aid and scholarships. So we want to make sure that anybody who wants to go on a voyage can do that.
0: So where do they go first? Do they go to their own school? Do they go to you? Do they write? Uh, yeah. Do you help so them with first, the loan? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or?
1: absolutely. So they would have already done FAFSAs for their school, right? And then they would basically submit their FAFSA to us if they want to apply for aid from us as well. So they got financial aid through the university. If that's sufficient, they're good to go. If they want more assistance, then they would submit their FAFSA to us as well.
0: So when you're... A, Offering financial aid, do you look for a certain kind of student or a grade level or, um, I don't know, what do you judge it on or need or all the above?
1: Yeah, so financial aid can be uh, merit or um, need, well, need-based. Financial aid is really need-based, right? Then there's all these scholarships. Some are need-based and some are merit-based. So it really depends.
0: Do you, is it, I'm assuming it's, is it all Americans or you get some Canadians or do you get Uh, international students?
1: Yeah, it's about 80 to 85% U.S. passport holders and the rest are international students. Of course, we'd like to drive that number up. It just adds to the richness, richness of the community. So, you know, we get 30, 40 international students, sometimes as high as 60 or 70. We'd love for that to be a quarter of our population right um uh, but it's it's amazing what happens cuz you get these students from other countries and they are like don't you know about the world some yeah, of our us kids holders
0: no no we don't
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah and i think the average kid like i said i did, i never left the country till after college so i mean what a what an opportunity i didn't even know this existed and that's on me um i can tell you my dad probably would have paid for it but Still, uh, I would have tried, or or maybe I wouldn't have. You know, I might have been one of those guys yeah. that uh, just like, well, no, I can't leave. Uh, we're gonna miss football season, or some dumb thing that I, you know, I was naive, and yeah. this kind of like takes the naive away, which I'm all for.
1: <laughs> Boy, am I with you! I'm so with you. Uh, I I went on study abroad my junior year in college, and. It was an unusual decision for sure because I was playing basketball in college and it meant that I was missing all preseason. When I told my coach, he's kind of like, you're doing what? (laughs) Right. No college athlete takes a semester away. You know, college (laughs) athletics are 365. Even back in the eighties when I went to college, that was kind of mind blowing, but I just, felt really compelled, like I had to do this. And I never looked back since then. Just like when you, after you took your first big trip, it seems like you never looked back.
0: Right. Um, I'm trying to remember how my credits worked back a <laughs> hundred years ago, but I think it was like three credits per class, a semester or something. And then I would take like 12 to 15 a semester. So how many credits are they getting? Are they getting just three or are they getting like a, basically a full course a semester's worth of credits.
1: Yeah, they can take 12 or 15 credits. So 12 is four courses, 15 is...
0: is oh, so it hasn't changed.
1: 12 is four easy. courses. Yeah. Yeah, and 15 credits is five courses. Or three credits apiece.
0: Okay, so it is a full semester. You're not like, oh, I left for that semester at C, but I only got three credits, and now I'm way behind. Yeah. So you're, you keep pace, basically.
1: Keep them on the degree completion pathway. That's right. They, they got to
0: stay up. Okay, Hi. Now I'm, I'm, I regret not knowing about this.
1: Well, your niece and nephew, how yeah. are they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I got one in college now in Purdue. He's starting okay. his sophomore year. Um Yeah, I'll, I'll let him know. Um so with COVID now, I know that's changed everything. Um have you done anything with like uh what other changes have you made and where do you see it going forward whether in terms of size of groups or itineraries? What, what has changed and what do you see changing now?
1: Yeah, obviously, the pandemic's been particularly hard. It's been hard on the entire world. Uh, it's been difficult for our model, for sure. Mm-hmm. Hit it square
0: on. Oh, yeah. I haven't and, been on a ship since.
1: Yeah. So we've been a year and a half without a voyage, which is really hard on a small nonprofit. We've gotten through for a number of reasons, uh, but we are ready to sail and we have done a lot of work. I guess the the blessing of the last six months is we've been able to do a lot of due diligence on how to conduct a void safely. The first thing, as we already talked about, we changed our itinerary for this spring. Right, it's still amazing in terms of the countries get get go to. However, it's going to be mostly European because that's where the vaccination rates are the highest in terms of the world. We can talk about the injustice there and the unfairness yeah. of that. Practically in order for us to sail, that's what we needed to do. Yeah, right.
0: Asia pretty much off the table for now. For now.
1: That's right. Yeah. And so that's the first big thing when you talk about what have we made. We, we adjusted our itinerary counter to our usual model of at least three continents. And then second, of course, as I already mentioned, we in, in, we implemented full vaccination requirements. So every person who gets on the ship will have proof of vaccination, right? And then we've added uh, an additional uh, medical personnel. So we have two doctors rather than the usual one. We always have a physician assistant or nurse as well. This is just to ensure that we can do the testing as efficiently as possible. So that extra capacity in in the medical office Uh, So we've also identified what kind of antigen testing, what kind of PCR testing we're going to use and what will be the consistent basis for applying those. We have identified how we'll do isolation. And one of the really important upgrades we're doing to the ship, you'll love this in terms of technology. It doesn't improve our satellite connection, but it definitely (laughs) improves the environment in the cabin. So we're upgrading the whole AV technology system. So for academic reasons, if a student does need to go into isolation, they can be in that cabin and still have interaction with their faculty member. So that it can be live cast from the classroom or pre-recorded videos piped to that classroom and the the student in that cabin can play it as, as they wish. We haven't had that ability up until now, so we will have that. So the academic continuation is critical. I mean, we're not a, we're not a cruise. We're really an academic program. So we need to make sure our students, if they get a positive uh, test, they can actually continue with their program.
0: Right. Basically, if you do their classes online in their rooms. In their rooms.
1: <laughs> yeah. Online at sea.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about insurance. Do you, yeah. so like their health insurance, they're covered, I'm sure, for medical care on the ship, but in some foreign countries, they want you to catch, you know, carry supplemental or travel insurance. What do you suggest for the kids do?
1: So we actually have insurance. It's not required, but it's an opt-out. Mm-hmm. Right? They're automatically opted into a uh, travel insurance effectively that is available to them throughout the voyage. For example, every once in a while, a student might get injured. You know, we had one student years ago that tore her ACL and had to end her voyage. And this is essentially a medical evacuation, if you will. And the insurance covers that. Like, doctor says, yeah, that leg's broken. Right, (laughs) yeah. And we're not going to do the surgery in South Africa We'll fly you home. The students going home, so the insurance covers
0: that. Okay. Well, now we can get to you. And as we wrap this up, let's get, let's, let's get to the Scott Marshall Dirty Dozen here. Let's uh, your favorite country to visit, and the craziest thing you ever ate.
1: My favorite country to visit. <laughs> I I wonder
0: how you answer this question. If you can, I don't have if I can name one, but give me a, give me a few. Give me a, a few. few.
1: So number 1 not number 1 in choice but yeah. one of the few I would say Japan because that's where I studied the language that's where I did study abroad and I did live there for a while so I would oh, put great. Japan. Second, I would put Ecuador. Interesting. Uh, I've been there a few times and it has great diversity of ecology. The food just fabulous. I just loved it. Just loved it. And strangely, and not strangely, but um, I found the weather intolerable, but I found the people glorious and so fun and the music. And that's Ghana. I would go back to Ghana and drop of a hat, you know, the hottest place I've ever been.
0: (laughs) It's right on the equator there.
1: In terms of my physical being, I don't know if I've ever been so uncomfortable, (laughs) but in terms of just the people and... They work hard, they play hard, they smile big, they play amazing music, they have beautiful clothes, uh, and, it, and it challenges me. I like When I go to a place, I, I really don't want to sit back with a daiquiri and watch yeah. a bunch of people who look like me walk around. That's not what I seek. Japan is challenging for me. I'm tall. I'm 6'6". It's Whoa. not easy. Right? No. No. Uh, my language skills have gone from, you know, a five out of ten to a one out of ten. So it's <laughs> not an easy place, but it, that's what I like. Uh, Ecuador. It's not that it was easy, you know. Get up to Quito, and it's high altitude, and um, anyway. So anyway, these are places that I th- I just found beautiful in their own unique ways, and and would love to go back to. Them.
0: Those are a great three. I mean, I've been, I love Japan and, uh, I haven't been to Ecuador. That's one of the few because I, you know, the Galapagos is on my list. Of, of course, I mean, that's way up there. When yeah. I want to get there. And then I haven't done, I've done Eastern Africa and South Africa, but I haven't done West Africa. Yeah. So, you know, you don't hear too many people talk it up that way, but I guess, yeah, I really want to you know, I want to go everywhere, but I got to see it. Now you sold me on Ghana.
1: Yeah. Well, you? When you, after you go, please let me know.
0: Okay. How about you? Any, uh, any food poisonings? Any injuries overseas?
1: You know, I have only had food poisoning once.
0: And It was in Tulsa or something. <laughs> 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 Where was it? Traveling
1: <laughs> internationally. I've had food poisoning okay. from Subway in the yeah. U.S. too many times. Right. So uh, it's, it's sort of an unfortunate story. So I was actually in Phnom Penh. Oh. I had taught a week-long course, and I had a day to go up to Angkor Wat, which is, you've probably seen. I have, I have been there.
0: I've been Off there. the charts. Yeah.
1: So you've been there, and you know that alongside the temples, there's these rinky-dinky shacks serving some food.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Something,
1: right? Well, I was going to fly out that night to Bangkok to meet with some alums from a different program I was working with at the time. So I only had, like, grab a bite and go to the airport. Oh, no. I made the tragic mistake of <laughs> going into that shack and eating some kind of gross soup. I show up in Bangkok that night I'm in the hotel room for the next three days. <laughs> Just,
0: oh, like, before foolish. you got on
1: a plane. Oh, no. Yeah. Believe me, I was um, <laughs> uncomfortable on that plane ride.
0: Yeah. Oh, God bless you. Well if you felt tall in Japan, I mean the Japanese are getting uh, taller actually they're getting in the last you know 20 30 years but Vietnam, I'm six feet and I felt like a giant. If, if you went to Vietnam you gotta they must look at you like a tree or something
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah and you know you've done this you just sort of get inured to it you just go along with it. I don't pay that much attention until I'm in a bus, yeah or a train. And then the contrast is stark. Yeah. Right. Riding a train in Tokyo where someone tra- sadly is staring right at my chest. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or are getting onto a bus where your knees are spread and you oh. just jammed in. You talked to someone not too long ago that was six ten.
0: Yeah, yeah, Eric Giuliani. I can't imagine. I mean, I was on an overnight bus in Vietnam, and I couldn't fit in it. They had a little. I was supposedly you could lay back in your seat and in this little foot compartment. Nope, I I couldn't do it. I don't know how he rode you know minivan buses in Africa. I, God bless him. Six ten. Yeah. No, you can't even imagine. Nope, that's
1: crazy. No. And the older I get, the less I can imagine. it.
0: Yeah. And then you go to uh, the Netherlands in your normal size, your average yep. height, you know, there. And yep. I think them and the South Africans are, are really tall. Croatia, everybody's really tall too. Yeah. You can lot of, basketball of Croatia. Yeah. Right? Serbians. Yeah. They're all, everybody's like two inches taller than you think they'd be. Yeah. It's really weird. Um, well, this has been great. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, so for people who are interested in taking the semester at sea, uh, give us the website, the social media, and everything else now. Get your plugs in here.
1: Super easy. Semester at dot org. Oh. Semester at dot org. Spelled out. <laughs> and websites waiting for you. Advisors are waiting for you. So come join us. Um it's all the same through all the social media Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, which oh, great. is a new world to me.
0: The kids love it.
1: Yep, um, Instagram. All of it's live and well. Uh, semester See, for me, um, the only social media I do really is LinkedIn. Okay, but if someone wants to get in touch, that's a great way to find me. Of course, I'm also on the website.
0: Okay, and so you're taking applications for the next for which semester? It's the now. You no. filled up for the spring.
1: We're or- waitlisted, but. You know, I would encourage people to look at it and give it a shot because, uh, you know, some people could fall off. And, you know, so please look at spring 22. But we are definitely taking applications for fall 22 and spring 23.
0: And where are those going? Those are still European
1: based. So the fall 22 and spring 23 ones return to our itineraries where we hit Europe, Africa,
0: Asia. Okay, God willing. Um, yes everything your mouth will. to god's ears
1: yeah we we we're not sure how much fall 22 will actually hit the african continent um mm-hmm. for obvious reasons uh, but unfortunate for sure we're hoping things turn around there as soon, as soon as they can but we'll certainly get over to asia and then return in the spring to europe from asia
0: and you're going to be on any of those or are you staying in on land Mike, I have an office job. Oh, come on. Can you meet the ship for a little bit? Yeah, yeah.
1: I usually do sail the first leg or, or some other leg during the voyage,
0: depending on who's going to be there. If we can get you on board at some point in time, I'll be sure to join you. Absolutely. That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, Scott, I appreciate you doing this. Hang on the line. I'll talk to you after I, I let it go. But anything, uh, any message you want to give out there to, to anybody who might be interested?
1: It's bottom line, the best experience people have ever had.
0: That's a good sales pitch. All right, man. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking the time. Sure. Scott Marshall, everyone.